360 Ed TV is brought to you by Rice Studios and Agility. Uh, today we're speaking with Nick Hawkins. He's Professor of Innovative Technology in Medical Education and he's also the Director of the Office of Medical Education within the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Queensland. Nick, you're also head of the uh, Biomedical Education Skills and Training Network. That's a, a consortium uh, of online biomedical educators. Nick, you're most welcome to join us tonight here on 360 Ed TV. What do you do in the two hours a day that you're not doing other stuff? I don't have that much time between walking the dog and sleeping, but <laughs> what I'm what I'm really passionate about is using technology to, to assist in learning and biomedical education in particular. Mm -hmm. So um, I've been a biomedical, educa biomedical educator and a, a biomedical research scientist all my life. I'm actually a pathologist by training. Mm -hmm. and, and increasingly, the opportunities that, bio, that um, technology is providing us are really transforming the way that we think about teaching and learning uh, in the university setting. So really that's what gets me going every day. Absolutely. Nick, your session uh, was about uh, adding new dimensions to virtual medical images. And, you know, obviously biomedical research has driven much of your research output, but it seems when I look back at some of the research work that you have been doing, it's always been posited within the context of technology-infused quality learning and teaching um, 2015, you published uh, some work that explored the efficacy of adaptive tutorials and increasing student in, uh, engagement. Can you tell me a little bit about that study, its findings, sure. and importantly, um, how did it inform your subsequent practice? Sure. So that was a, a study that uh, I undertook with my colleagues at University of New South Wales, um, Gary Veelan and, and uh, our colleagues, and also and it was driven by um, a couple of keen medical students. Uh, and I guess it highlights one of the important things that I'm finding as I get older that uh, having students involved, uh, really engaging students to drive learning, uh, to find their own way, to understand how they can use technology as a great benefit. So those two students, Vincent and Ariella, worked with us, and and it was a, a you know a, a study where we wanted to use the technologies that we had available through the best networks, through the SmartSparrow platform, and uh, to create uh, online learning tools that we could really evaluate against what we saw as the best practice available to other students, and that is through well-curated websites that students often visit. And we really wanted to see whether there was something special or something beneficial about the adaptive um, online lesson that, that gave it benefits over your standard website. Sure. And, and it was, um, and, and you know, Gary Villan really developed the, the methodology, that project, which was really around getting a whole group of medical students from UNSW at different years to, to try out these different modalities in a crossover study. And, and fundamentally, we found what in that study what we often find, that is that the learning is a little bit better when they're using uh, online tools but I think fundamentally it's just much more engaging for students. And it, perhaps it's partly the novelty of it, but I think often the aesthetic of what they're looking at, the, um, 
the simplicity and the immediate feedback that they get from those sorts of lessons is really what helps engage them. And when students are engaged, then they learn better and they learn more deeply. And so um, particularly with the more senior students who are doing that work, we found better outcomes. Well, thank you. That's that's great. Yeah. I I guess um, what we learned from that, and and as you said, that was a couple of years ago, and, and one of the things that happens very quickly in this field is that technology changes and and improves in a lot of ways. So we were probably using approaches and um, uh, tools, online tools that we can certainly improve on and are improving on all the time. But it it just, it it gives us the the stimulus to realize, well, two things. One is that we can do these things better by investing a bit of time and energy into creating worthwhile lessons. Um, But the other thing is that those lessons when created, and this has always been the exciting thing for me about online learning, once created, that lesson's available potentially to everyone in the world who wants to see it. And and that's, you know, it's a challenge to to get it out there, to distribute it, to um, make it available and and get people aware of it. But at the same time, it's an enormously powerful thing. And, you know, having taught taught medical students for 30 years, um, it's fine to teach 100 students, it's fine to teach 500 students, but if you know that something that you, some concept, some way of explaining that you've got that you can deliver to 5,000 students or 50,000 students, it's way more exciting. So yeah. um, so from, the, from that study, sure, uh, you know, it, it adds to the idea that we already know students really love it, they enjoy working in these new environments, and they learn better from it. Well, fantastic. Um, I talked about the title of your, your conference presentation before, and there were hundreds of people at the conference. I was really quite surprised by the roll-up, uh, fantastic space, uh, the number of people there was more than I had expected. So a couple of buds from um, from um, previous dates that I knew there. Um, but uh, can you share a little bit about the content that you discussed in your session uh, around adding new dimensions to virtual uh, medical images? So it was a topic that um, quite dear to my heart. I am a pathologist, and that means that I... I live um, for images and I work with glass slides every day and looking at slides and learning information from those slides and obviously sharing those slides with students. And back when I started teaching medical students, we did have glass slides and the students would be lined up looking down microscopes that they they didn't really know how to use and they didn't really know what they're looking at and we didn't know what they're looking at because we couldn't see and, mm. and it wasn't very satisfactory. And we've, I've been really blessed to see in my career the emergence of virtual microscopy, which allows us to um, see microscopic images uh, zoom in and out as you would with a microscope, but on a computer screen. And that sort of transformed a lot of the teaching that we do in, in looking at human tissues under the microscope. So that's been part of the journey for me and for us with the Best Network, because we've, we really wanted to create a tool that could not only allow us to do that because we were already doing that from UNSW were doing that from 2004 Mm. but we wanted to be able to but you know when you teach long enough uh, you become an expert in a particular area you have a huge amount of information and knowledge that you want to be able to share with other people and in an image that is a virtual image it's very hard to do so 
what we did in the best network essentially was to create a tool called Slice, which is a viewer of those images, which not only lets people see them anywhere in the world through a URL, but also allows us as teachers or even students to share information and their knowledge about that, that image by annotating that image and sharing those annotations with other people too. So I had a look last night. Yeah, it uh, yeah. looks sensational, actually. And that, that annotation piece, taking a solitary endeavour, in a sense, in, in terms of study and making it this collaborative opportunity. Yeah. That's right. So there's, there's a whole series. And I guess the journey that we were describing there was going from the simple thing of making that, that image available wherever through the web to annotating that as an individual and adding your knowledge and sharing that knowledge as a layer to building a tool which then allows multiple people to work together on the one layer and, and collaboratively annotate stuff. And, and then our, the next step in our journey that we're, we're just completing is to, and it comes back to that um, lesson we're talking about radiology, is to, to move from a, a 2D image um, to where modern radiology is, which is it's really dealing with three-dimensional structures by s making slices, radiographic slices through a person and reconstructing them. You can build up 3D models of what things look like inside people. And as teachers, it's very hard um, to be able to explain that to students. And so the last iteration of Slice, which is coming out, allows this 3D, this third dimension, uh, allowing us to... to zoom in and out and as well as pan through structures to see them in three dimensions. So it's all been an exciting journey and it's all got one thing in, go in mind though and that is to create tools which empower people who use images to help teach and, and help students learn. Mm. No, it is an exciting time. Um, Nick, uh, as I understand it, uh, Best Network grew out of a two-year government funding uh, round. Can you tell us a bit more about uh, Best networks. I was looking through the the site a couple of nights ago. There's a whole variety of stuff that you're doing. Yeah. So I guess the best network is a very broad church, uh, and it's designed specifically <laughs> that way. Um, we we basically, you know, people ask me, well, what, what what do you mean by biomedical? And I mean, like, if it was ever alive, or it is still alive, I'm happy to call that biomedical. Um, Okay, we started we started back when Stephen Conroy and um, was promoting the NBN, and uh, I think the government were a bit worried about what they were actually going to put on it, um, and so they offered up a whole lot of money. Surprisingly, uh, quite late in December of uh, many years ago, it was five years ago, I think, um, and we had a bit of an unholy scramble to try and get together a group of interested academics across Australia uh, who wanted to apply for this, but we were, because, you know, it closed in early January, so um, it wasn't that easy. But we, and uh, we worked closely with Smart Sparrow, who were really just a fledgling company at that time, and yes. the, the staff there really helped us. And we put together a grant, which was obviously successful. And, and you know, and that was a very unusual thing for me as an academic, because it was a lot of money. It was much more than I'm used to as a biomedical researcher. Yeah. And it had to be spent in a very short period of time. Uh, and and I always, you know, I've, I've seen so many projects that they're good ideas, they get funded, and then they just die. And, and I just didn't want that to happen. I think it's quite common in academic circles for that to happen. Um, sure, you get your publication on your website, but there's, there's nothing going on. So we always wanted to create something that was sustainable out of this money and really make something that lasted. So... Uh, 
and I guess we've been in this sort of non-self-sustaining mode for five years or four years now, and and we continue to to grow each year. So I think we've achieved that to a large extent. So the best network is all about allowing academics to collaborate with each other and to share the materials that they develop uh, with each other and with their students in a way that just avoids needless replication, needless waste of taxpayers' money uh, and, mm. and benefits everyone. So that's all we ever tried to do. We tried to set up the tools. We tried to set up the legal framework, the ethical framework, uh, and indeed a business model that was going to be sustainable. And um, and and really thanks hugely to Smart Sparrow who've helped us enormously and thanks to um, you know a lot of input from so many academics all around Australia, we continue to grow and, and, and be quite successful. Interesting um, coalition of the willing really. When you look at it, you've got Group of Eight powerhouses and then you've got JTU who have been doing tremendous work in tropical medicine. Um, yeah. What, what was the basis on which JCU joined the fold? Well, look, as I said, it was it was it was a fairly eclectic um, group because we really just wanted, well, we we wanted to we wanted to have diversity in the organisation. We were into into the grant as it was then. Um, JCU brought enormous amounts of uh, expertise in in tropical medicine, uh, geographically uh, geographic diversity to the network, um, a lot of passion and enthusiasm from key people there, uh, and. And, and and I guess just coming back to the idea of diversity um, and the broad church, we're not about – we don't care where people come from. And some of the most important contributors to the Best Network today are not, you know, official members. Well, they're members, but they're, they may only have a small membership stake in it. They may be coming from relatively small universities, but they um, they contribute. They've got an enormous passion for contributing and adding their materials um, to the resource bank. So if you look through Slice and you look at who, you know, every every image is um, attributed, and if you look where they come from, they come from all over the world and all over Australia, and, and I'm just constantly surprised by um, people who create really good things. Um, and they might come from the Sunshine Coast University, it might come from Charles Sturt, and yep. there's this new lesson, and it's great, and, and they've shared it with everyone else. I think we're, we're really we still have to work a lot. I don't think academics and universities fully appreciate the value that they can get from sharing their teaching. I mean, they're very used to sharing their research. Um, people, universities will spend millions of dollars on research and then sign away those copyright for that research to some journal. Uh, and thanks very much for publishing me. But if you, you know, you tell them, oh, what about sharing your picture of this? Oh, I'm not sure I could. Or, you know, I don't know who owns a copyright. Or, and, and so there's a real difference of view between research, which has always been international collaborative. Everyone knows to get ahead in research, you collaborate, you share. But in teaching, it's always, well, we'll just keep to our own knitting and that's our advantage. So we're starting yeah. to break that down, which is good. What, uh, what was the impact? Uh, I guess there were some benefits specifically for having uh, an adaptive learning platform underneath what you're doing. What was the specific impact or benefit you were looking for? By using that kind of technology. Well, well, the word adaptive means a lot of different things to different people, and I think as probably originally conceived by uh, Smart Sparrow, and, and it was about adaptive in the sense of a lesson is responding to the needs of the student, and mm. therefore um, better able to meet their needs, and and that's 
obviously that's a great idea and and a, a compelling thing when you can do it well. Um, but actually, in my mind, the most important term meaning of the word adaptive is that that platform, the SmartSparrow platform, allows someone to create something, put it on the platform, and then for someone else to take it and change it in the most facile way. So, uh, you know, we, we encourage people, if they've created a lesson, to put it up on the public part, the public-facing part of the Best Network, which you see, and if you look there, you'll see nearly 200 lessons. Every mm. one of those lessons, if you're a member of the Best Network, and it's free, so um, we want you to be an academic, but it's free. If you That's are, you just pitch, click everybody. on that. That's the pitch, That's the pitch. Yeah. If, if you're an institution, it's not free, but if you're an academic, it is. And yeah. And if um, you click on that, you take that to your part of the SmartSparrow platform mm. and you can change it in any way you like with the blessing of the person who created it. Put your logo on it, change some questions because they're not relevant to your picture, your circumstance, make something easier or simpler because you've got a different set of students and then whack it back out on the network again. So that form of adaptivity uh, I think is the key to the success of the BETS network. I've never met an academic yet who said, you know, that thing there, that's perfect. They said, look, it's pretty good, <laughs> but, you know, this, yeah. this, 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 and this. I and, think I've got a better mousetrap, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. fine, take it, change it, and then give it back to us too because you've made it better, so share it again. So that's the fundamental model of the best network, and I think that's why the particular power of the adaptive of the SmartSparrow platform is that it really does make that sharing, yeah. and they have other tools in there as well, loops and and the ability to share with other people collaboratively when you're working on a project, whether you're on the other side of the world or not. It's just hugely beneficial to the academic enterprise. Um, I, I yeah. just was intrigued by the concept that you were thinking about the graduate attributes and employability piece for undergraduates. 2014, obviously the thinking was happening before that. Mm. Um, and really, fast forward to 2017, and, and now it's top of mind for so many people across all disciplines. Yeah, well, that that's true. It, it really has um, sort of exploded employability. It's a huge thing at UQ, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and there's a lot of money being spent on, well, how can we do that? Because obviously, I think it does come back to the changing nature of students, and and, and they are changing so fast in the way that they expect to learn, uh, the way they approach study, the way they try and find information is quite different to what it was even five years ago. And increasingly their focus and therefore, um, you know, the focus of universities has to be on, well, where is this going to get me? How, how are you going to make me more employable? Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, I was interested with colleagues back in 2014 and earlier. I, I suspect it came out of... Um, um, changes in the medicine program at UNSW quite some time ago, as early as 2004, where we developed a formal portfolio uh, process for students. It it was not, it didn't have a focus on employability. Uh, it had a focus on how are students achieving their graduate, um, moving towards attaining the graduate attributes that we expected. But it gave us a lot of experience in in portfolios and their use. And so when when we came to sort of thing, because we teach medical students, but we teach a lot of science students, and and the there's a transition there where science students, well, they're not really um, 
they they come from a much broader background. It's often harder to pin down what exactly the graduate attributes are, apart from generic university ones. Um, but at the same time, their focus was entirely on a job, and and it was, you know, a real key focus for them. Often students coming into that particular program were doing so. It was a Bachelor of Medical Science program. They're doing so because a lot of them thought, well, this is how I can get into medicine. Um, and the reality was that a lot of them weren't. Uh, you know, they were not gonna, they were not gonna get into medicine, and yet they were bright young kids, and they needed to think clearly about what they were gonna do. And so this was a chance to, to I guess, push them in that direction to start get them starting to have that mm. conversation with themselves and with their teachers and their colleagues about where they were going and what what sort of information they'd need to be able to to present to others to become employable. Uh, you know, it's interesting at UQ, um, because at UQ, uh, I still am engaged mostly in teaching medical students here, but we have um, 200 students who come to UQ from overseas, most of them from North America. And and as graduates in North America, uh, and they they come out of UQ with, with um, a registration that allows them to practice in the States, their model of going about getting a job is entirely different to medicine in Australia. So here, if you're in a medical course, and it might change, but at the moment, you're going to be an intern. And there's no problem. You don't have to think about employability. Someone's just going to employ you, and you'll be right, and you'll be off. In America, they fight tooth and nail to get onto a training program. And if they can't, they're sort of washed up as doctors. There's no future for them in medicine. It's really quite striking. Wow. So. Wow. I have this responsibility with our students here, you know, 200 students who we really have to get them thinking about how they're going to present themselves to their future employees um, through a process they have in America called the match. It's like a big blind date. Well, not a blind date, a big dating service. And every medical graduate in America has to find themselves somewhere to go. And if you don't, you miss out on the chair. Well, you're gone. So Sounds like the NFL draft. Yeah, it is. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, it's really quite different to Australia. And that really, again, opened my eyes to the importance of getting our students to to demonstrate, to start thinking about what they've achieved and start being able to articulate what they achieved. So again, we're, we're increasingly using portfolios here at UQ. Um, we're just starting out on that journey. Um, but it's so important to get students thinking about that, to collecting information, learning how they can take um, official results from the university, um, evidence from little studies or little bits of work they've done here and there, work experience, uh, and pull it all together and make a compelling case. Because in America, they need to, to get a job. And, you know, probably in Australia, in soon enough, it'll be the same too. And I'm sure it's the yep. same for most graduates from universities anyway. So yep. it's been an interesting journey in, in, in that and um, and really quite eye-opening for me. Oh. Nick, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, talking tonight. Um, really appreciate your time, uh, your insights, and uh, thank you for... Uh, everything yeah okay well thank you very much tony thanks for the time and um nice to talk to you too